until we are really in touch with our own rage, our own despair, our own disappointment, our own sadness, our own depression. To me, the most important thing is, is creating the space for your child to feel what they feel. They learn that from us. Attachment is not dependent on your child's temperament, whether you wear your baby, if they're allowed screen time or not, whether they're breast or bottle fed, or even the parenting style that you use. It's actually not really a question of will my child attach to me, their primary caregiver. With very few exceptions, all human beings attach. What we're really focused on is the quality of that relationship. How secure is that attachment? If you've been listening to this podcast, you may remember me talking about a book that I just finished reading called Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment by Bethany Saltman. The title, which is taken from Mary Ainsworth's famous study of the same name, is a compelling look at the science of attachment, the field of psychology that explores the question of why, from an evolutionary point of view, love exists between parents and children. After finishing the book, I immediately reached out to Bethany, and I'm so delighted that she agreed to be on the podcast to talk about it and about Mary Ainsworth's research and to clear up some of the misconceptions of what attachment is and what it isn't and some of the big takeaways that helped inform the way she mothered her daughter that you can incorporate into your own parenting as well. In a culture that often asks, how should I do this? Did I do it right? Bethany will suggest an alternative focus on the permission-granting, liberating, and attainable pursuit of delight in your children and in yourself. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I am beyond gushingly thrilled to introduce you to our guest today. We have Bethany Saltman on. She is the author of Strange Situation, which is an amazing book. If you are not familiar, it really talks about your journey as a mother in understanding what attachment really is. And frankly, I learned more about attachment from your book than I did in graduate school because <laughs> you go the nuance the depth that you go into it like you track down Mary Ainsworth's scrap paper and like read every single word she's ever written and so the the thing that's what I found so amazing about the book was it was like fresh eyes on something that I think gets talked about a lot but people don't really really understand it gets misunderstood really easily and I think that misunderstanding leads to actually a lot of pain for parents uh, about their own story and about how they parent their child. And um, so I was hoping we could pick your brain a little bit about like, okay, what 
really is, when we're talking about attachment, what are we actually talking about and what are we not talking about? Hmm. Sure. Uh, first of all, hi. Thanks hi. for having me on and for that <laughs> lovely gush. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I really like what you're saying. Um, I was just listening to a Dharma talk by um, a, a teacher in the lineage where I practice, Zen, and he was talking about how the Dharma is so often, in fact, usually misunderstood. And, and, and the crazy part about it, and it's similar to attachment in the sense that so many people think that they understand it. And in fact, I really believe that most people not only misunderstand it, but like you said, like sorely misunderstand it to the point of really hurting themselves. Um, so I, I thank you for that. And I agree a hundred percent. And, um, yeah, so gosh, um, yeah, I did spend a long time tracking, tracking Mary Ainsworth down. I wish I read every word that she had written. I, I have not, um, but I would like to, I mean, there were talking thousands of, you know, pages of a PDF in particular for one, from one of her research studies. So, but you know, that's goals for the rest of my life, I guess. <laughs> So yeah, what what is attachment and what is it not? Attachment in its simplest form is a um, full body and mind physiological system in the body, obviously, like digestion or respiration that just is. Like we all are born with the ability to breathe, with the ability to digest, with the ability, the capacity to um, attach. Now, you know, just like with those other metaphors, they're going to be really different in each person. And sometimes they're even, um, you know, we come to something, we come to our lives with some kind of a detriment. You know, there's something wrong with our lungs. There's something wrong with our belly. Um, there isn't usually something wrong with our heart, <laughs> which is the, the, the organ of our attachment. Um, I don't know if, if John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth would agree with that specifically, but I'm just going to go there. And um, so, so the attachment system is something that is constantly functioning. And the, the, the goal of the attachment system is to keep the infant, the human infant safe. Well, in fact, it's true for all mammals, primates, um, it, mammals and primates. It's the goal of the attachment system is to keep the, um, the, the vulnerable infant safe. And in the case of human beings, to keep us feeling felt. Mm-hmm. Because from a um, from a um, evolutionary point of view, we don't need just to be safe. We need to actually feel connected. We need to feel like someone is seeing us. I mean, I'm sure you and your listeners have heard of the of Tronics um, still face experiments mm-hmm. when a an infant's mother goes blank, doesn't uh-huh. respond, an infant goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know that feeling like when someone's flat or just non-responsive to like basic things. I mean, I find that I often get like really angry when I'm talking on the phone and someone sounds like a robot. I want to like reach through the phone and shake them. I get like yeah. an age response to that. Yes. And that's so that's like an evolutionary need to feel mirrored in the world. So the attachment right. system is that thing that is functioning to help us stay connected to our caregivers um, and, to, and for the, our caregivers to help us feel felt. 
That's all it is. And yeah. so the, the behaviors of the attachment system when you're an infant are um, like reaching, smiling, clinging, nursing. Um, um, there's one, I forget, I forget all the, all of them, but you know, cooing and vocalizing. Yeah, exactly. Vocalizing like super basic things that, that, you know, make us think our babies are cute and alert them to the fact that they need us, you know? So that uppy thing is, mm-hmm. is an evolutionary, um, shape, you know, babies yes. need to be picked up. And so, you know, and I totally, totally understand from the maternal point of view, from the parental point of view, why that's, that's not always a good time. But from an attachment point of view, the best way to get the child's need met is to just pick the baby up. Because if you don't, they're going to keep asking. Like there will never mm-hmm. come a time when they will stop asking. Mm-hmm. If they stop asking, that's something to be concerned about because it's mm-hmm. just a need. You know, and this is where all the different kinds of attachment come in. Um, now, this does not, this is this has nothing to do with temperament. Some babies need more than others. You know, there are all different kinds of things that come into that, like with the digestion and breathing metaphor. You know, we all have different kinds of lungs. We have different kinds of needs. We have different kinds of guts. So a mom or a dad is going to have a different reaction based on their needs and their guts um, to their baby needing them. But that is, but that's the that's the frame of attachment. Um, mm-hmm. What attachment is not is like the doctor doctor Sears style checklist of um, um, like activities. It, attachment has absolutely nothing to do with where your child sleeps, what they eat. Um, you know, if you sl- carry them in a sling, if you put them in a stroller. It doesn't have anything to do with screen time. It doesn't have anything to do with junk food. It doesn't have anything to do with intelligence or, you know, after school activities or how much you love mm-hmm. them or how much you care for them. It has nothing to do with any of those very culturally specific kinds of parenting, parenting styles. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, one can look like a, you know, textbook attachment parent with like the nursing on demand and the and the, uh, the sling and the co-sleeping and, and all the rest of it and be so full of rage or ambivalence uh-huh. or dissociation that they are not creating a secure attachment with that child. Likewise, uh-huh. you can be, and I really like to say this loud and proud, a single, a poor single mother who works 5,000 jobs and is, you know, never sleeps because she's so stressed because she's, she loves her kids so much that she's working around the clock to provide for them. And she is grumpy. She, you know, gives them junk food. She puts them, gives them screens, but she delights in them and she Mm -hmm. is there for them and they know it. That probably was one of the most moving things to me in, in your book and just in general, this idea of delight of, we all are capable of that. You don't have to have X, Y, Z or do X, Y, Z to be able to delight in your child. That's something you have to find space for that. Yeah. You have to give yourself the like permission to do that. But that's, that's again, just like attachment is a biological hardwiring. Our capacity to find delight in our child is also somewhat like innately there in us. Yeah, we have that human, human capacity. capacity. It's a human capacity. Mm-hmm. No one's born without the ability to delight. 
Right. And that doesn't mean you have to always find your child delightful. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> we'd be we'd be a little screwed because it's not possible. No, of course not. But like I talk about all the time, it's the most important thing is that we learn to find delight in ourselves. You know, it's like you can't pour from an empty cup kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds so cliche and we've heard this so much, but it's just totally true. If we can't, if we don't have delight happening, bubbling up in our own hearts, when our child enters the room, why do we think we're going to be able to suddenly conjure delight for our mm-hmm. kid? It doesn't work. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you, if you aren't someone who ever cries, you're not going to cry at a sad movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's just that simple. So, so the best way, because delight is so important to our attachment, so much more important than any of these external sticks that people really rely on for good reason, because, you know, internal is much more difficult, much less knowable than the external, but it doesn't mean anything um, from my point of view. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's obviously educated in the attachment science, but um, the best thing that we can do is to cultivate our own delight. Right. So like if you are, a parent. I like, so I kind of like in the book you gave this, you described an example from her, her studies when Mary, so just if people aren't familiar, Mary Ainsworth was like a massive pioneer in like the, the origin of attachment theory. So John Bowlby started writing about this, started studying it, sort of kind of naming it this. And Mary Ainsworth, sorry. In the 1940s, he started and then Mary Ainsworth was one of his students? No. I'm glad you said that. Because okay. everybody thinks that that's patriarchy at its finest. She was never his student, ever. Interesting. She was his colleague. She got a job working at the Tavistock Clinic where he put out an ad for a researcher. And she mm-hmm. applied for the job and she got the job. Mm-hmm. She was not his student. So, but she researched with him. Yes, on his team. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the key thing that Mary offered the field was this operationalization. Yes. Of being able to say, I can find a reliable way to measure this phenomenon. Exactly. Exactly. And no one had done that. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, so when they met, um, it was still a totally controversial idea, this idea of attachment meaning um, that babies um, bond with their caregiver, not just because they feed them. That was mm-hmm. the sort of, um, you know, Skinnerian behaviorist view of the time. Right. Um, that the Harry was, Harlow monkey studies where. Well, yeah, but he was, Harry Harlow was actually moving toward the attachment. That That's what his studies were saying, that like the babies actually, they, um, they were more interested in the, in the wire monkey with the terry cloth that didn't feed them. Right. Right. Yes. He was saying like, he sort of disrupted that idea saying like, no, it's not just being fed. It's the comfort and the closeness and and this sort of softness. So there was like two monkeys in a cage, two fake monkeys. One was made out of wire, but had the milk and one was made out of terry cloth. And they would take these baby monkeys and put them in the cage separated from their real mom and just see what they would do. It's a horrible stuff. So horrible, sad. Horrible. So, but, but, but a lot of interesting but information powerful. came out of it because it showed that surprisingly to the 
belief at the time that the, the monkeys would go to the wire monkey for food, but they would always go to the com- to the comfort yeah. and 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 softness of the terry cloth monkey whenever they were scared. So whenever that attachment biological attachment drive was activated, exactly. they would run to the, the, the monkey that comforted them, exactly. not the monkey that fed them. Exactly. And so that was like the, that was a strange situation. So Mary Ainsworth went, you know, she, she met up with Bowlby, was on his team, really doubted what he was saying. She wasn't a believer at the time. And then she ended up going to Uganda because her husband got a job there. And she was like, okay, let me do my own study here and see what I think. And she studied 26 Ganda women and their babies, and she immediately saw that he was right, that these these were relationships she was seeing, not just some kind of mechanistic food um, exchange. And, and so then she, she, um, she then did the first empirical study of attachment in Uganda. And, um, and so it was then that she started to see the different attachment types, the classifications, which sometimes people call styles, but in the science, it's usually called patterns, um, mm-hmm. which I really prefer. The word style is just way too easy to bandy about mm-hmm. um, and to misunderstand and to think yes. it's something that you can like change or put on or, you know, it's like style. It's just a little too light. but. Yeah. Um, so that's where she started to see that. And then she went to Baltimore and she re she replicated the study much more intensely and found that she had been correct, that there are three different classifications. There's secure, there's insecure avoidant, and there's insecure ambivalent or sometimes called resistant. And then she, she was studying 26 um, suburban white women in Baltimore. She wanted to get the most opposite um, you know, study group of, you know, control that she could finally, that she could get. And so that's why she went up. That's why she developed with that study, um, with that population. And then she found that it was the same, that they were, um, she found the same three classifications, but the white babies didn't have as much of that secure base behavior that you're talking about with the monkeys. Mm-hmm. And she figured it might be because they're not as afraid of me. For one thing, mm-hmm. we've all seen white people before, unlike the, the kids in, in Uganda who had never seen a white person before. So there was a lot of that moving back and forth. And she said, um, let me see what happens if I goose their attachment system a little bit on purpose. Maybe that will come to life. And in fact, it did. That's where she constructed the strange situation, a 20-minute laboratory procedure where a baby and the caregiver go into a room and there are a series of separations and reunions and a trained observer can see how do, how do the baby and the parent interact? Does the mother, does the parent serve as a secure base for the baby? Can the baby's stress of being left alone in this strange environment be soothed by the parent? That's the primary question of the strange situation. And so that's why there are these, you know, attachment. So, so when a child is sick, their attachment system kicks up. Mm-hmm. We often hear about how kids are so cuddly when they're sick. You know, we kind of like it yeah. when our kids are a little bit sick because they're so snuggly. And that's because their, their attachment system is online. And it's really mm-hmm. important what we do in those moments. Yeah. And similarly, when like kids are at those developmental stages of, separation anxiety comes out, right? Like they get more clingy and parents are always like, oh my God, all of a sudden my kids will not let me like go to the bathroom by myself. Like they're just all over me. 
And that's their attachment system kicking up because for a number of different reasons, but developmentally, there's so many big shifts in their world. And even like as they learn and acquire new skills, the world feels different. And that can be kind of uh, unmooring for a kid. So they become more activated in their attachment needs. And so you see that clinginess it's really a sign that your child's brain's developing. <laughs> yeah, and their emotions. And, you know, um, and, and if we ourselves have a secure attachment, we can tolerate that better. You know, if we ourselves have an insecure attachment, those kinds of experiences can be really triggering for us. And then mm-hmm. we, you know, tend to push off or we avoid and we don't, or we're not comfortable with our own feelings around mm-hmm. our child needing us. And so our child gets the very clear message that we are not available for that. Mm-hmm. And that's how the generation, that's how attachment moves through generations. Right. Because those parents that are maybe telling their child or who are being activated by their child in that moment and then shut off a little bit, probably had a parent who did a similar thing exactly. with them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's not to say that, you know, one of the things that's really important to remember is that even if you have an avoidant attachment, you're still in an organized pattern of attachment. You know, mm-hmm. all is not lost. This is not some kind of, um, you know, path, pathological experience. It's a really common um, solution to a problem, which is yes. overwhelm. You know, we are we are emotionally, psychically, phys- physiologically overwhelmed. Our systems get totally flooded. And unless we have parents who are managing their own feelings, this is what happens. We learn that, like, you know, we don't learn with our heads. We absorb this quality of, you know, avoidance. And it's mm-hmm. so subtle and it's so profound that mm-hmm. it's, and that's why the styles thing drives me kind of crazy because it's so beyond anything you, you're going to find on a checklist or a, a self-assessment. Right. I know. I'm and not, I also, so gonna, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I also think that like, tell me what you think about this. I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this because I think people talk a lot about, well, I'm securely attached or I'm insecurely attached, meaning like myself is that where I actually think the attachment style or the attachment patterns really refers to the quality, the attachment quality of that relationship itself. It's the space in between two people. You can have a secure relationship with one person. You can have a, a relationship with another person that activates a lot of insecurity within you. you you're not bound and gagged by this to re- doomed to repeat it in perpetuity forever. Like you, there are qualities when people feel safe, we tend to feel safe with them and they can activate secure parts to ourselves. Whereas when people make us feel unsafe, they can activate insecure parts of ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's some fluidity. Yeah. It's not this Absolutely. like, this is who I am 100% of the time, all the, all the, always and forever. I would say though, in what Mary Ainsworth calls um, crunch times, mm-hmm. that the truth will come out. Uh-huh. So in a marriage, um, with a sick child, mm-hmm. in times of stress, when you know, push when relationship push comes to relationship shove, we do have a um, 
you know, attend a very strong tendency. Yes. Now, none of this is deterministic at all. I mean, you can be the most avoidant, disorganized person in the world and heal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, for everybody who's listening who wants to know what kind of attachment they have, there's no way of knowing really other than by looking at your relationships. Mm-hmm. Are your relationships satisfying? Do you value attachment? Do you work on the weekends or do you hike with your family? Do you um, end up arguing a lot with people or are things pretty harmonious? <laughs> you know, it's like th- that this is the best way to know. But the yeah. but the. But the truth of the matter for everybody, no matter what kind of attachment you have or you think you have, we can all become stronger relationship warriors, if you will, by um, becoming more aware of our own relationship, our, our own emotions. Yes. Because ultimately, a secure, a, a secure attachment gives us the freedom to feel whatever we feel. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be that we're feeling good or happy or connected, but we can feel the darkness. We can feel the shadow. We can feel our disappointment and then we can work it through the, so that's the real gift of a secure attachment. It's not that we are successful or happy all the time. It's mm-hmm. that we can feel when we feel terrible and yes. that's to do something about it. Yeah. And speaking to that idea of the intergenerational transmission of this is that if you want to help your child develop a secure attachment, one of the best ways you can do that is to allow them to have all the feelings. Well, better, even better, allow yourself. Yes. Well, one is kind of, you kind of can't have one without the other. Exactly. Which is why I say start with you. Yes. Which makes me think too, a lot of, so you run these monthly um, sort of learning circles, um, the the secret teachings of Mary Ainsworth, where you talk about, you basically, you break down the maternal caregiving and interaction skills that she, these are very like kind of little known documents that you, yeah. that you, and I've that come married to, wrote, that married yes. yeah. and I've come to a couple of them and they are like the most wonderful hour. I like loved it. But one of the things that was very profound that you do that I, that you did in those, in those sessions is basically you do this exercise where you have people in the circle read parts of Mary Ainsworth's sort of observations about basically these, these scales, these scales that are measuring how a, how a mother is attending to caregiving and attending to like what the attunement is to the child and measuring out in different ways. And so it's describing a mother and a child and sort of what Mary's looking for when she's observing an interaction. On a scale of one to nine, it's it's the most quote judgmental thing (laughs) any mother would ever want to read. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. You have to be brave, but it's, you know, incredible. So, so it's definitely, it's in, it's it's hard to read it because you're like, oh gosh. But then what you do is you have whoever's reading it replace the child in this description with myself. And what you're doing in that moment is helping everybody who's in that room, most of us mothers, reading this thing, saying, oh my God, this is all the things that I'm doing wrong. This is all the things that I'm doing wrong. And saying, no, this is me. And yeah. understanding that, 
I have an inner child that has feelings and has experiences and has had needs met and unmet and what that feels like. And so it's not about being a good or bad parent. It's about being a human being in the world who sometimes does and sometimes does not get their needs met and having a lot of compassion for that process. And I just absolutely thought that was so profound. Yeah, no, it is super profound. I love doing it so much. It's free, by the way, for for your listeners. I really just love doing this and I love getting Mary's word out there. And, you know, we only have so much time in a day. And so I know there are so many wonderful teachers and, you know, parenting experts who really talk about allowing a child's feelings in. But my experience is that I can't do that unless I'm learning about myself, unless I am. I just wrote a post today. I haven't posted it yet, but I I just started designing it. and, and, and I wrote, whose tantrum is it? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, if I'm totally in my seat as an adult and my daughter has, I mean, she's 15, she doesn't have the same kind of tantrums anymore. I have much bigger ones than she does these days. <laughs> um, you know, when, but when she was little and she would have a very occasional tantrum, I mean, she was just doing her thing, her work, right? But I was so overwhelmed and so dysregulated by what are people going to think? And, oh, my God, you know, like I'm the worst mother in the world. And just that riff of shame and anxiety. And and then I would end up, you know, I would would either fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And then it was impossible to manage her with kind compassion. So that's why I like to disrupt that, like allow your child's feelings trope because yeah, that sounds good. But if people are anything like me, I cannot do that when I'm in the grips of my own tantrum. True. Totally true. And I think when we give parents the tools to say, and again, like I think a lot of, it's funny because I do a lot of work with parents and helping parents understand their kids. But in reality, that work is identical if you kind of exactly what we're talking about with the Marians where stuff that in the secret teachings that you do or when you replace my child with myself that inner child work that reparenting oneself like it's the same rubric it's like it is and it's more efficient to to try to understand yourself because in understanding your child I mean, you know, I, I believe you can only go so far. I mean, it's great to know kind of developmental stages and what's appropriate. And yes, we have so much ability to understand and to learn with our minds, like read all the, you know, stuff in the world. But until we are really in touch with our own fever, you know, our own rage, our own despair, our own disappointment, our own sadness, our own depression, you know, whatever it is, we're always going to, you know, to me, the most important thing is, is creating the space for your child to feel what they feel. And, and because we are fused creatures, they learn that, again, not intellectually, but absorption wise from us. Mm-hmm. And so us doing our own work is going to be, it's going to be a much more efficient way for us to give our children the love and affection and care and attention that we desire. It's just yes. going to be a little more automatic. Right. And I think that the beauty about that is you can do that. You can't do something to your child. You can't make your child 
feel this or think this or change this behavior, you, you can, you can scaffold, you can support, you can definitely shape, but you're not in control of them. Exactly. But we are much, not always, but much more likely to be, have access to being in control of ourselves, of the way that we interpret things, or if we have automatic interpretations, going back and double checking and saying, hey, hold on. I just, my mind went straight to that worst, worst possible case fear. Is there anything else that it could be? Can I go back and just reassess and say, well, what's a more benign interpretation? Is there anything else it could possibly be? And that shifts, right? Like I'm thinking of an example of like a I was working with a family and they were always talking about how getting out the door in the morning was causing like tremendous agitation and distress and everyone was falling apart. And one of the reasons why, one of the, and I asked the parent, like, what are the thoughts that are going through your head in this moment when your child will not put their shoes on? And the thoughts were, they're supposed to be able to do this by themselves. And because they're not, I'm failing. I'm failing at doing my job. Oh my God, totally. And so that was the work. It wasn't about getting your kid to put their shoes on at all. It was about changing that thought in the moment yeah. and saying, maybe it's not my job Yeah. to have my child be able to put their shoes on at all points of, t- of the timeline of the day. Like maybe yeah. there are times when I accept that even though this is a skill my child does possess, they can't access it and I am not failing. Right. You know, just in terms of that, I remember so well when um, mornings were tough for us and I, I do a lot of work with businesses and like mission and values and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, because I was seeing all these thoughts, like she needs to be able to do this and then and like so much mishigas around like shoulds. And, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, I value harmony in the morning more then teaching a lesson, making sure I'm being a good mom. Like I can't go through this again. So I am going to um, make every effort to help her get out the door harmoniously mm-hmm. for me because I mm-hmm. I want I value harmony and it can't be bad for her. Now, if she's 15 and can't tie her shoes, then maybe we need to sit down and do a little more work around that. But, Uh um, you know, to give ourselves permission to have desires, to have a feeling of like, I want to have a harmonious morning and I can let myself off the hook for a morning of like being this, you know, 24 seven teach bot who's supposed to be like just teaching a lesson. My husband is a psychotherapist and he reminds me of this all the time that like teaching a lesson is just like the worst. (laughs) And I do it all the time constantly lecturing Azalea like oh and, and in those stressful moments like she's five minutes late to class I'm like well have you thought about how we got to this place and she's like oh <laughs> who can blame so yeah awesome. I I would do that. I mean I literally have done that to my own mother like I have had that exact same visceral response where it's like no oh, I don't want to think or learn right now I need to just do this on my own. I know, exactly. Oh my gosh. So, And I love my mother for the record. <laughs> we have a very harmonious relationship and still those things happen. And that's important, I think, to rec- like Even going back to the very, very beginning of our conversation, we were talking about like being able to find delight in your child or being yeah. able to pick them up when they need that connection. 
you don't have to pick your child up every single time to still be able to be that safe, secure base for them and for them to reliably assume you will pick them up most of the time. This is another question I get asked all the time from parents where they're like, my child cries when I separate from them. Are they insecurely attached? And I'm like, no, no, that's that's, we want to see that. Like, you know, we need to be able to say no. no. The child, of course. Right. True. (laughs) And the nature of the separation. I mean, there are many, you know, every separation, separation is not the same. Right. No. And it's a nuanced question because the answer can be yes. The answer can be yes. This separation could affect their attachment. That's certainly true. But typically that's referring to sort of stark and extreme separations or, or ones that are, you know, chronic and unrepaired. That's, I think, the piece that's missing in those, in the things that end up kind of causing problems. This is not like separating, like I dropped my kid off at school and they cried. Yeah. Um, Really the question is when you come pick them up at school, are they able to be comforted by your presence? Right, right. But I would also really veer people away from asking that question. Am I, am I, is my kid secure Mm -hmm. or not secure? Because it's not like that, you know? Yes. And, and it's, and it's so weaponized it's such a classic thing of like something that's so beautiful being weaponized against women. It's like, yeah, so classic. This is what patriarchy does. So I really want to take this attachment weapon out of the hands of mothers who are just like beating themselves to a pulp about it. Mm-hmm. It's just a way of understanding a certain part of our bodies. That's yes. Like- yes. And everyone is attached. Everyone is attached. If you are a human being and you are breathing, you are attached. Yeah, in, except for in extreme cases of neglect and torture. I mean, you know, but right. people you're dealing with are not there. Right. It's really about like the quality of that attachment or how comfortable it feels for you to be in that state of attachment because a lot of times attachment can feel really uncomfortable to us. Or you don't even recognize that it's happening. That's mm-hmm. the avoidant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the There's... resistant folks are uncomfortable. The avoidant people are like, what? I'm just going to go back to work. Right. Sort of aloof, sort of. Distant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's, and, and to, if you are avoidantly attached and you are aloof and you're distant, being intensely attuned and connected to a human being can be very uncomfortable. It's like anything out of the zone of comfort, anything out of that pattern that you are used to isn't comfortable. That's why we stay in that space. Totally. And I'm glad you you couched in terms of just comfort. You know, this is not some like decree, some like holy decree. This is just like comfort. And like, so you're a little uncomfortable, deal with it. If you're really serious about, you know, having creating the best environment for your child, you're going to have to deal with your discomfort. And I don't mm-hmm. have patience for people who aren't willing to do that. You know, you can't, you can't say that you're like, so, um, you know, devoted to this attachment business and be very unwilling to bend, which has been something that I've experienced quite a lot. Yes. I, but I also think people are afraid to bend because 
again, it's, it's like this, it's yeah. like a funhouse mirror. It's like every time you look, you see the next version of the reflection. It's like, it goes all the way, it's like back and forth and yeah, back yeah, and forth. Yeah. But like, if, yes, we want people to be able to bend, to stretch, right? I talk a lot about when we talk about stretching our distress tolerance muscles, like anything that can yeah, like exactly. do something like a little stretch outside of our comfort zone. But you have to feel safe enough to be able to stretch out of the comfort zone. So when people are rigidly defended against changing that, it's usually because they're terrified on the inside. And so that's where I think the real work starts is figuring out why is this so scary? How do we increase safety? And then with that sense of safety, then you can start to try something different. Yes. And that's, I mean, I guess that's why people go to therapy, right? Like that's what I do with people. Intimacy is terrifying. It is for a lot of people, especially if it's not the way that your family operated. Right. I guess what I would say, and we're talking to adults, obviously, um, listen to the people in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, people ask me all the time. If you, if you feel a little charged is because I get asked this so much is that we we really want and like an external like silver bullet kind of thing. And as somebody who, you know, I've spent 20 years sitting on a meditation cushion or more at this point, you know, studied my buns off to try to understand this. Like I don't I'm not saying everybody needs to do what I do, but but like relationship intimacy is hard one. And mm-hmm. it doesn't come easy to many of us. And, um, you know, I guess to me, it feels like part of our give it to me now culture. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just not into that. Mm -hmm. And And I so respect that because I think that's kind of a lot of the work I do with people who come to me and they're like, something's wrong. We need to fix it. And I say, okay, let's understand what that even really means because maybe it's not broken. Yeah. Maybe this is just the way you operate in the world because this is the world, this is the blueprint that you operate on. This is your blueprint. Yeah. And if we understand the blueprint and how we got there, that's why I love attachment so much because it's the first blueprint, right? It's the first one we make. Yeah. We edit that blueprint as we go. Of course. And there can be massive edits at different parts in our lives. A really amazing relationship that profoundly changes our sense of safety in the world. That edits the blueprint. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Or a really abusive relationship that destroys you. Edits the blueprint, right? Our blueprint is always evolving as we experience the world, which means our attachment is also evolving. It's, I think people think of it as like, uh, it's this fixed thing. It's this small window. And as parents who are now responsible for the quality of the attachment of our child, which again is debatable, (laughs) I believe. Um, But then there's this tremendous pressure. It's like we have this one little window and we don't get it perfect. We are totally setting our child up for a lifetime of hurt and we are going to be responsible for that. And what a, what a weight. That's not fair. But in another way, it's easier because that that's sort of that silver bullet mentality. Like I do this or I do that. Like, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not, that's not the way human, that's not the way real life operates. No. And so there's a lot of letting go and leaning in and uh, sitting back oh and just God. being like, I'm going to just see, I'm going to be here. 
Yeah. And, and the delight thing is so great because it's like permission granted, like go mm -hmm. do something that makes you happy. Yes. Moms, like martyrs, you know, yes. sacrificial lambs, like no, totally yeah. no, totally no. No. So if you're listening, if you've listened this far, <laughs> hear Bethany and me say out loud with like big neon letters you have permission to find things that make you happy. And that doesn't have to be your child. It certainly can be, but it doesn't have to be. And it shouldn't exclusively be. And if you can do that, if you can find delight, authentic delight, it's going to likely translate to your relationship with your kid. Oh, it will. Not likely. It will. <laughs> even better. We, we are holograms. We, we don't, there's no real space between us and our kids, between us and anybody, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a Buddhist. So that's how I understand the world. Um, you and I are the same thing, but I'm not you and you are not me. What I have in my heart is what you will receive and vice versa. And mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. And so it's not even that it likely will translate, but we cannot give our children what we do not have. Mm -hmm. And so if we are filled, if we're brimming with delight, we will um, share with our children what we have in our hearts. Yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Um, and so the best thing to do if you have limited time, like I do, is to cultivate what's best in your own heart. Mm -hmm. and, um, and try to understand our relationships with our children that way through the inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and to leave you with that picture that you, you know, painted of like, it's the mom who's doing everything by the book, but is feeling empty while she does it versus the mom who's breaking all the rules, but loves <laughs> every moment of it. Or not every moment. Or yes. Let's rephrase. Who, who delights able her child but is able to delight in her child and not beat herself up for breaking the rules. I'm using air quotes with my rules here, yeah, yeah. but like those are two extreme ends of the spectrum. We can live in the middle, but at the end of the day, like being so fixated by the rules is not helpful. Right. Absolutely. Or maybe one day we break the rules the next day we don't, you know, it's like maybe we don't know what the rules are and we're going to figure mm -hmm. them out. Yes. But that, that requires some confidence on our part to just be present and yeah. listen to our kids and not feel like, like you were saying, like not always be looking out to the external places to tell us what we're supposed to be feeling and doing. Yeah, It's a lot more about the how we're doing things than what we're doing. Thank you so much for being here and have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. I loved having a conversation with Bethany about attachment. I could have talked to her literally all day. It can be challenging, but so rewarding and impactful on our parenting when we put in the work on ourselves, breaking cycles, identifying triggers, and beginning to heal old wounds. This is something that we refer to as reparenting. If you're interested in hearing more about that topic, make sure to head over to Instagram and follow me at Dr. Sarah Bren. I'll be sharing strategies and coping methods along with posts on attachment theory, child development, and emotion regulation, and more. And go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter too so you never miss a thing. If you're already on Instagram, just click the link in my bio to sign up 
or you can head to drsarahbren.com and scroll all the way to the bottom to find the sign up button. Thanks for listening to this episode. And until next time, don't be a stranger. Thank you.